listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. Welcome to retail's favorite podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in between retail and retail tech. Today, as part of our Back to Basics of Retailing theme this season, we are examining an incredibly important and often underrated aspect of retail, successful leadership. What makes a great retail leader, especially during constrained times like retailers are in this year? We'll be meeting our latest retail transformer, Jeffrey McNulty, founder and CEO of New Retail Ethos Consultancy. We'll learn from Jeffrey's 30 years of hands-on industry experience as an executive leader for The Home Depot, Lowe's, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, ShopCo, Toys R Us, Publix, and Festival Foods, plus his 18 years of experience as a retail research analyst. Are you excited yet? I'm a big fan of this episode. This is such an underrated topic. We've touched on parts of it before with our retail transformer back in gosh, season season one, episode nine, if I'm mm. correct. That was April yeah. And a few times relating to managing store teams and frontline workers with Ron Thurston. Back in the first two episodes of the podcast, but how do you develop retail leadership and how do you develop these leaders into executives? I think that how those leaders are shaped, the success of creates a success for the entire organization. Yeah. And what qualities do they need to be able to create this type of a success story? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what we're diving into today. Our conversation with Jeffrey will look at what he's learned from his retail career path, what he's learned from other successful retail leaders and how that's helped him develop this extensive training program and framework for developing those great retail leaders that lead these successful retail organizations. We'll see just how a strong retail business begins with the right leadership qualities. I'm sure our listeners and viewers will come away with learning exactly why Jeff McNulty is more than meets the eye. He stole my line again. (laughs) That was definitely on purpose. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm going to watch for that next time. All right, so let's move on now and meet our newest retail transformer, Jeffrey McNulty, former retail leader, industry analyst, author of The Ultimate Retail Manual, and now founder and CEO of New Retail Ethos Consultancy. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. I'm so excited we are finally having this discussion. Yes, thrilled we're having you on the show. Retail leadership is an overlooked topic that just doesn't get enough attention that it needs. We're always coming back to the point on the show that in retail, no matter how much tech you throw at it, it's still a people business. It's about those human relationships and that absolutely starts with the leaders in every retail brand and the floor. Yeah, I'm honored to be here, actually. So thank you guys for uh, for having me on your show. I know you guys have a lot of top-tier talent on the show. I see you guys interviewing a lot of the, uh, the top-tier retail leaders are around the world, actually. So I'm really a big fan of the show, and I try to engage as much as I can. You guys record some really good stuff, so I'm honored to be here. Oh, well, thanks. Thank you for that, Jeffrey. Absolutely. Yeah, you're welcome. So, Jeffrey, why don't we just jump in by having you introduce yourself, share some of your retail background, just to get us started. Okay. For those that don't know me, my name is Jeffrey P. McNulty, and I'm a, I'm the founder and CEO of New Retail Ethos Consultancy. I'm also a retail business turnaround expert, a retail business educator and trainer, a leadership coach, innovator, online course creator of the Ultimate Retail Courses, speaker, and best-selling author of the Ultimate Retail Manual. My, con- my clients and colleagues have kind of nicknamed me a hybrid in the business world because I have 30 years of experience as an executive leader for the Home Depot, Lowe's. Barnes & Noble, ShopCo, PetSmart, Toys R Us, I'll make sure I get all of them, Publix and Festival Foods, as well as over 18 years experience as a retail analyst. And throughout my, my tenure, I've conducted over 1,000 consultations slash engagements with clients on Wall Street, hedge fund managers, equity investment partners, retailers from niche players to big box, business owners and entrepreneurs on the retail sector. So 
definitely been around the block a little bit. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy retail. Love it. Uh, like I said, spent 30 years in the sector, hands-on with those eight different retailers. And I will always be a positive voice and advocate for the retail sector. I, I, I love everybody in retail. I have admiration and respect for what they're going through, especially after the pandemic that was unprecedented and what they went through. But the, the silver lining is the frontline employees really got recognized for how important they are to, to every brand. So I was really happy to see that. As you know, when I post on LinkedIn, it's always positive about retail, just because I, I care about the sector and I always will. Yeah, that, that is an, an amazing background. And I, I know I, I, for one, am always a fan. I, I, I love the positivity that you bring to all the to- these topics in retail, because like Casey said at the beginning, this uh, always feels, although we talk about it a lot. On, mm-hmm. on our show, we try to really highlight aspects of, of retail leadership, especially on, on frontline teams. But it just seems like it doesn't get enough attention. Although I completely agree with you that since the pandemic, if there's a silver lining, it's that we finally did shine a light on all of the people in those roles and, and what they're doing <clears throat> and why it's so important, not just to the retail business, but to just all of us, right, as consumers. So let's dive in a little bit more into you know your retail experiences. And, and you've, got, you've been at so many brands and, and so many different roles. And, and how that led you to create new retail ethos and, and, and how you work with retailers and retail businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually got into consulting back in 2005. I was still heavily involved in retail. I think it was a store manager at PetSmart at the time. And Dearson Lehman Group was the largest consulting firm in the world. They reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be a, a retail consultant for them. So I decided to join with them. And I was recognized very, very early on because I was able to communicate diverse concepts to different audiences. I could relay the information to to a hedge fund manager or an executive at a, at a retailer or a business. You know, it's, it just changed the vernacular a little bit and everything like that. But I was able to communicate those ideas. And then in 2018, I thought, you know what, let me, let me go ahead and branch out on my own. I really enjoyed doing this. I started building up a nice client base, a global client base, which was really nice outside of Gears and Lehman Group, of course, that would be a conflict of interest. So New Retail Ethos is a, is a retail business and management consultancy that assists retail organizations, retail leaders, businesses, regardless of size, scope, and niche, uh, founders, CEOs, human resource managers, entrepreneurs, and intrapreneurs. A lot of people don't really know what intrapreneurs are, but I work a lot with those in, in businesses that they're working in or retailers, and I help them with alleviating and addressing common pain points. So we provide all facets of retail consulting, anticipatory intelligence, instructional programs, and pragmatic delivery of retail concepts while working with our clients to fulfill their vision and aspirations. We offer what I call bespoke advisory services to retail and business leaders around the world. We create a structured blueprint that assists clients with achieving sustained success, in air quotes, sustained success is what we're looking for through my proprietary program that I created. We provide a comprehensive assessment of each retailer or business, which encompasses all 10 pillars contained within my online course, The Ultimate Retail Course, and of course, my best-selling book, The Ultimate Retail Manual. And we provide tangible and actionable solutions. So as a founder and CEO, I I thoroughly enjoy being ground engaged with our clients by providing a personalized experience that I'm extremely proud of. I know during the pandemic, it was hard to get out there as much into the stores and to the businesses, but complete client satisfaction is our number one priority. I know a lot of people say that, but I like to under-promise and over-deliver with each client that we have. I have clients that I've worked with now for 15 years that are repeat clients that are coming back. And that to me is, 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 is really, it's surreal that, that I'm able to do that, help these people. It makes me feel good every night when I go to bed. So for more information on my retail and business and online courses and the book, you can go to theultimateretailcourse.com. And for consulting services, you can visit my website at newretailethos.com. Fantastic. So let's Tell us a little bit more about the, the entrepreneurship you mentioned. And I, I, I focus on that one because that's not something we end up talking a lot about in retail. It's a, it's a I, I think, a, a fairly interesting and has become a much more common concept in business. But you don't often hear retailers talking about that in their organizations. So tell us a little bit more about what you do with retailers there. Yeah, that's, that's a great point you bring up. That's why, if you notice, I've been posting about a lot of that on LinkedIn mm-hmm. lately. Yeah, um, yeah. Entrepreneurs are basically entrepreneurs that are working inside the structure and confines of a business structure already. So they don't have to worry about the funding and they don't have to worry about all the other struggles, you know, the, the four levels that each business goes through from startup to, to growth and stuff like that. So 
they, they have the safety net of the resources there, the structures already in place. And then they, if they're provided autonomy, which we, we could spend an entire conversation on just that one topic, and we will in the future, you, you have a bunch of raving fans that are creating innovative ideas in your company. And what's really awesome is the employee engagement skyrockets because the employee feels like they're actually a part of the business. They feel like they're an actual business owner of the business. And if you ever look at employee uh, businesses that are employee-owned, like there's a lot of grocery stores out here in Wisconsin where I live mm. that are employee-owned, they, the, the engagement's through the roof. The customer service is phenomenal. Everybody seems to be happy. They're in a good mood, stuff like that. So it's really an awesome thing to do. But you, you got to have leaders at the very top that, that are going to provide that structure. Again, of course, you, know, you, you can't have entrepreneurs going around and, and running, running havoc and causing problems and just doing whatever they want. There has to be some structure in place, some protocols. But you know, the best I, some of the best ideas I ever had when I was in retail didn't come from myself. They came from an army of entrepreneurs that I that I empowered, uh, and I embraced giving them the autonomy and the freedom to experiment with certain things. I share a lot of these examples that I actually was able to achieve myself personally, because I was afforded that opportunity to be an entrepreneur, and I was given a really really healthy dose of autonomy, where I could try things. If I made a mistake, I learned from it. I wasn't I wasn't penalized and humiliated and, and insulted. And so when you create that energy, it's a very, very positive energy that permeates throughout an entire store or a business, but you have to have leaders that really understand that topic. And if, if they don't, if they're, if they're fear of lack of control, it's not going to work because the, the employee has to feel like, Hey, you know what? I got a great idea here. Like, here's a great example. When I was at Home Depot as a, as a, as a district manager in training at the store in Green Bay, Wisconsin, I, I kept getting a lot of requests for Gorilla Glue. And I went to my, called my president of the entire Midwest division of 350 stores. His name was Bill Patterson. And I said, Bill, I want to go ahead and pilot this. I want to run this. I don't need any extra hours, any extra resources, but I want to, I want to pilot these SKUs and I'll, I'll give you all the feedback and all the, the detailed financial information from it. So a month later, they rolled out four SKUs of Gorilla Glue to the Midwest division and then ultimately to the entire company. So when you walk into Home Depot and see Gorilla Glue, I'm really proud that I was the one that implemented and started to get that into the company because if I didn't have that kind of entrepreneurship that I was afforded in that autonomy, that would have never happened. And I can definitely tell you as a Home Depot customer, I appreciate that you did that because I've bought Gorilla Glue there many a time. I have too. Um, oh my gosh, did you see that girl put Gorilla Glue in her hair? Anyway. <laughs> You know, you said something where you said you were allowed to have some autonomy and make mistakes. So you just without getting X, which just gave me massive flashbacks. That was not my experience when I started, which I think is phenomenal. Just to kind of go back into your early days, what? How did you get into retail and what was that moment? Because I know I remember my moment of when you decided I'm never leaving. Like this is going a career. It's not necessarily a job. Well, first of all, how long is the show? <laughs> <laughs> I love to talk about this topic because I'm so not. Like, that, like for your first, the first job and the first moment where you're just like, I think I found my thing. Well, mine didn't actually work that way, but I'll kind of give okay. you the chronological mm -hmm. progression, how it worked. I started in retail in 1982 in Sunrise, Florida, which is a suburb of Fort Lauderdale at public supermarkets as a part-time mm -hmm. bag boy. And I was earning a whopping $2.90 $2 an hour. So I was, I was rocking. I was, I was, I yeah. was flat. I was loaded. I was, that was more money in the world. I was driving my, uh, more money than I was. Yeah. I was, I was uh, riding my 10 speed bike to work in the hot weather. I didn't care. And I was going out mm -hmm. in the hot weather and putting the groceries in the car. But at that point, it was just my, my grandmother actually got me the job. I was, I was 15 years old. I was going to Piper high school in sunrise and my grandmother said, okay, it's time for you to get a part-time job. She went down to the local public supermarket, walked right up to the store manager and said, Hey, I got a, I got a, I got a grandson. He's 15 years old. He needs a job. Let's get him hired. And sure enough, the guy goes, Sat, let's get him in here. So I was hired the next day. It, I had no intention of having a tenured career in the retail sector. To me, that was my first job. But serendipitously, I had an epiphany in 1991. I joined Home Depot in 1991. And that, that, is, that is where I started thinking about having a career in retail. And I started at the Deerfield Beach, Florida store, which is about five minutes. Bernie Marcus, the CEO of Home Depot at the time, lived five miles away in Boca mm -hmm. Raton. It was in our store. 
about four or five times a month. And you know, I was captivated and enthralled by his exemplary leadership and passion for helping people. I've never met anybody even close that had his passion for helping people. I mean, he was obsessive over the top in a good way. And he was fiercely devoted to, to, to complete customer satisfaction. And I can tell you some stories about satisfaction. I remember one time I was out of a electrical outlet and a customer came in and wanted you know, a couple 10 packs to finish a job. He said, you drive to whatever store it takes, you get it and you drive it to their house and you thank them for their business. I'm like, yes, sir, you got it. What else? Drop down, give you 20, whatever you need, you got it. You know, he, was, he was a very motivational yeah. guy. And, and I share some stories in the book and in the courses with him as well. But so at, at that point, I, I soon found myself kind of envisioning a, uh, having a long retail career because of him. Now, in that store, Arthur Blank was in there, Ron Brill, Pat Farah. I mean, the five co-founders of Home Depot were in that store. It was a very small yeah. store. It was about 80,000 square feet. And on a Saturday, you'd have to spend about 15 minutes driving around the parking lot trying to find a place to park because it was so busy. And yeah. it was crazy. I mean, you leave your house a half hour early and you're driving around trying to find a place to park. But as yeah. a quick side note, before I joined Home Depot, I applied to be a police officer with the Broward Sheriff's Office in 1991. Mm that same year before I joined them. And the Gulf War started that year and uh, the force enacted a hiring freeze. Uh -huh. So my seminal moment actually happened at the end of 1991, six months into my Home Depot career when the Broward Sheriff Office offered me an opportunity to join the force. And the compensation was double my salary. They had an awesome pension and excellent benefits. So I said, well, I got a, I got a decision to make. So what I do when I have tough decisions, I give myself a timeline. It's usually 24 hours, unless it's something that's much, much more entailed. So I go home and I, I, I turn my lights off. I put on the egg timer for an hour and I said, okay, let's, let's do the pros and cons, close my eyes. And I said, you know what? I, I really think I want to, I want to, I think I want to do this Home Depot thing. So I was really torn though, because many of my, my workout partners from Gold's Gym, there was captains and lieutenants in there. And a lot of my school classmates were, were police officers. And I really <laughs> wanted to, uh, to protect and serve. But after an intense, intense soul searching session, I finally decided to turn down their offer and focus my efforts on becoming the best servant leader that I could be. Now, I won't lie to you that that next six months when the paycheck was coming in, <laughs> you were I thinking like, about well, it. you know, I mean, that back look good, but you know, you'd be a good police officer. I have to cut my hair. I had really long hair back then. <laughs> I try to grow a ponytail because I was watching Miami Vice and, uh, and Don Johnson, when he, when he became bad yeah. Crockett, he had a ponytail. So oh, that's right. Yeah. I had a mini mullet going on and they said, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get the, you know, the crew cut or whatever. So, but, yeah, it was, it was a tough decision for about six months. I kind of second-guessed myself a little bit, but I, I just kept seeing the, the way that Bernie and all the executive leaders were mm. leading by example. Like you, you'd walk into the receiving and you'd see a, you know, Bernie Marcus sweeping receiving, wow. you know, or, or pushing carts. And I'm like, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can't beat that. You, you can't beat leading by example. And yeah. I remembered that every step I went up the ladder, I always remembered that. And that was my greatest strength was leading by example. But that's, that's kind of how my story went. It's a little bit off the beaten path. No, I mean, I think that I've, hear, I've heard a lot of these stories. And I, I think you're familiar with Ron Thurston, who we've also mm -hmm. had on the show a few times. And, and he talks about these stories. And everybody who works in this industry loves product. We're, pro we're all product junkies. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the moment was because of him, a her, a person. Mm -hmm. It was one person that may essentially spearheaded that decision that this is what I want to do and this is where I want to be. And I think it just kind of runs full circle to why retail leadership is so incredibly important because those it creates mm -hmm. the sparks for the future. Right. You know, because it wasn't, yeah. I want to work in retail because I want to sell dresses. Mm -hmm. It was because somebody I worked with made that impact, that impression that said, this will be the rest of my life. And I want to learn from them, mm -hmm. you know? Perfect. And I think perfect. that if, if we don't keep doing these types of programming and leadership development, it's going to, has that domino effect. So right. I just find it very interesting. Everybody kind of comes back to a person that had great yeah. retail leadership that guided yeah. And I, I think, you know, one of the, when I look at one of the ways where I've seen and read a, a lot of the things that you like to talk about, uh, Jeffrey, particularly with the, the things you post on LinkedIn and, and, and what you, some of the things you say in your book, I, I, one of the things I, I would really love to know, I mean, what was one of the main 
driving factors? What, what really kind of made you think, I, I need to put all this down in, into a book and, and how you came up with the ultimate retail manual? What was that impetus that you had that really motivated you to do that? <laughs> that that's another long story, but I'm going to try, I'll try <laughs> to keep it short. I'm going to try to keep it short because <clears throat> this is really a, 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 fan- a fantastic story. But throughout my early leadership career at uh, in Publix and Home Depot, I wanted to read one book that contained an uh, amalgamation of concepts that would assist me in becoming a better salesperson, <clears throat> excuse me, motivator, coach, merchandiser, and mentor, and leader. However, there wasn't one retail book that contained all this information. It wasn't available. So I'm a voracious reader. I love to learn and grow. So at the time, I was purchasing a plethora of books that were specifically focused on one major segment. I think like leadership, coaching, merchandising, sales, human resources, et cetera. And I w- I'm, am- I'm still amazed that 26 years later after that, there was still wasn't one book that covered all this material that I think a, a retail employee or a business employee should, should have. So I was like, wow, I, you know, when, when I th- started thinking about writing the book in early 2017, now, obviously the book's been updated like 12 different times since then. I try to update it every year to keep it fresh. But I said, you know, there's got to be a book available now. It's been 20, 26-ish years and there still wasn't a book. And I'm like, well, the axiom that kind of came to mind was if you can't find what you're looking for, create it. So I started reaching out to some, some people on LinkedIn that wrote books and, 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 and a lot of my colleagues and friends and family and clients were like, Jeff, you got a lot of really good tangible knowledge that you have and you, you, you have it in a unique way because you've worked for so many different retailers where if you work at one retailer your whole life, you're, <clears throat> you're going to miss out on some of the other nuances of the different products and the different seasonalities and stuff like that. So I, I pretty much worked in almost every major sector that, that's in retail. And I thought, well, isn't it kind of hard to write a book? And, and it's not easy. It took me 17 months, but I finally, I, I, I set a goal of 18 months, so I beat it by a month. But that's exactly what I did. It, 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 like I said, but it took me about four years of people saying this to me, because when your friends and family tell you something, they're just being supportive and being nice. And, and, but then I started, I was going back to, to UWGB here, University of Wisconsin, Green Bay to finish up my degree. And I'd have PhD professors like, Jeff, you write really well. You, you could be teaching this class by now with what you know. And, mm. and they leaned on me for some of the extracurricular activities and stuff like that. Then I started having clients that were saying this. I thought, you know, maybe there's something to this. But I, I wanted to make sure that I, I wrote a book that, uh, that came from empirical results versus theoretical ideas. I, I've read many, many books and they tell you the solution, but they don't show you how to implement the strategies and, and, and how to achieve the desired results. So this manual is a hands-on guide that walks you through each pillar slash strategy while providing tangible methodologies uh, to achieve success. So I personally lived and executed, there's, it's, there's 10 pillars contained within the, the book. And then of course the, the course, and I, I, I created these, most of these pillars when I was at Home Depot, because it was the hardest retail job I ever had. In fact, I, there was one time I thought about leaving. It was so intense. The first year I was a store manager. I mean, you're, you're getting inundated with now, now back then you were responsible as an executive leader for three, 400 employees, 60 to $80 million business. And you were responsible for all of the special orders, the installations, and the delivery issues. And that's where 90% of your issues came from. So I enjoyed when a customer had a problem, it had something to do with the store because I could easily fix it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was really challenged that first year. It took me about a year to get my legs under me. And I'm, I'm a passionate, outgoing person. I love people. I love to get to know people. So I said, Jeff, when you write this book, make sure you write it from a hands-on perspective. So I share a myriad of tangible and poignant strategies that truly encapsulate how to achieve your retail and business aspirations. So when the 10-pillar proprietary system that I created, which is portable and reproducible, is executed consistently, that's the key word there. You got to execute it consistently. You can't just pick and choose the pillars you want to implement. It is a proven blueprint for achieving sustained retail and business success. So I have clients that, that have been using it for three or four years. And they're like, Jeff, you know, I keep coming back to the talent acquisition piece, even though that we've improved our onboarding process and all that. So the 10 pillars are micro, micro vertical. Some people like to call them contained within the manual. Therefore, any, I have human resource professionals that use the book. I have retail employees and leaders from entry level up to the C-suite executive founders, CEOs, business owners, entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, 
and, and lately, a lot of college students, high school students, and retail mm-hmm. interns. So each pillar, I like to say, each pillar accurately conveys a functional strategy that contributes to the overall successful synergistic effect of, of, of the blueprint. So, and it's surreal to see readers in 23 different countries resonating with the manual. You know, when I first wrote the manual, I thought, wow, it'd be nice if I could pick up a couple of countries, but Mexico has been jamming lately. And, and a lot of these, wow. a lot of these countries, their English is not their first language and my book is mm-hmm. not translated into another language as of yet, as of mm-hmm. yet. I'm starting to think about that, going that down the road now. But it's surreal when you wake up and realize that when, when Bernie did what he did for me, that's why I give back so much on LinkedIn. In a lot of my posts, I share free information that I charge for with clients. I don't give away the whole kitchen sink, but I definitely give you enough to get you going. And I do that because I'm grateful for when you have five co-founders of Home Depot, not teaching you personally, but you're in that, that vicinity where you're learning through osmosis what they're mm-hmm. teaching. And these are some of the best retail icons out there. I mean, Bernie Markets and Arthur Blank, I mean, they're, they're, they're up there. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel that's my, my responsibility. And I feel fortunate to be able to give back and pay it forward. So that's kind of my passion for retail and what I do to, to share that, that, that gratitude that I have. Yeah, I mean, your, your LinkedIn is, is pretty incredible, I have to say. I thought I was doing a decent job until your feed started coming into mine. It's like, <laughs> oh, geez. I'll send you a check. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll send you a check. You're yeah. killing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, I have no lack of reading material on a Sunday morning. You mentioned the gap strategy. And uh, can you just kind of touch on what is the gap strategy and in what part of new re- retail ethos would somebody be able to find that? Is that in the book? Is that in your programming? It's it's kind of, no, I kind of created that. There's, there's, some, there's some parts of it in the book and the courses, but okay. I created this strategy just for clients uh, okay. because, because it's, 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 it's specifically tailored. I cover, I, I share the, I'm going to show you the basic overview of it right now, but then we perform a deep dive with each client. So GAP stands for growth, autonomy, and purpose. And I created it to provide a blueprint to my retail and business clients on how to ramp up their efforts to actively embrace employee engagement and entrepreneurship. So here are some of the basic principles for executing my, my GAP strategy. Under growth, you have succession planning. Again, this could take another 30 minutes to discuss this. But this is where it all starts. When employees are in your organization, you, you want to make sure that you're planning for their, for their succession and their growth. This is how you get someone to become an entrepreneur. You get, you get them to become a raving fan. And the question I always ask every retailer and every business leader is, are you strategically mapping out each employee or leader's future with the organization? And every, every business I work with or retailer I work with there's, there's, some, there's some work that needs to be done on this, on this exact strategy right here, just this piece. Because it, it, retail is changing so quickly that you have to be adapting your strategies. Like I went into one business and it was a 10-year-old plan. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking in 10 years, a lot has changed in retail, yeah. a lot. Oh, and yeah. you have to make sure that you're strategically, again, that's the key word, mapping out each employee and leader's future with the organization. And you don't do that just at their performance appraisal. You do that with the next piece, which is the daily check-ins with employees and leaders. Are your leaders consistently performing this behavior, which helps build and strengthen employee bonds? You know, daily check-ins, like when I was saying before, my my greatest strength is my loyalty. And then my second greatest strength is my leading by example and being hands-on. So Mm -hmm. in a store like Home Depot, if somebody's making a bail, I'll jump in with them. And it only takes about five minutes to make a bail, cardboard bail. And I'll say, hey, how's everything going? You know, how's everything happening? You know, what, what's uh, anything changed with your, your goals? I saw you really get excited about doing some teaching and training. In one of the uh, classes the other day with the customers, is that something that maybe you want to add to your, to your, to your succession planning? Or it seems like you really, you were, you lit up when you started doing this. You're, you're a good orator. You really understand how to communicate concepts and information. So, and the person would be like, Hey, yeah, you know what? I, I, I kind of would like to do that. So now in the back of my mind, I think, okay, well, let's update their succession planning. Get, pull out their file, update the plan. And now the next time there's an engagement of something that, that they have some experience on. Let's pop them in there and get them some more experience and kind of like be a minor, a minor mentor for them on that exact piece. Hmm. Provide challenge and work. This, this one, people think that if they provide challenge and work that they're going to run people out of the business. But people, most people like to be challenged now. It's a double-edged sword if you challenge people, but you don't provide them with the structure, the resources, and the knowledge okay, right. Excuse me, and the time, then it's not going to work out because they're going to feel overwhelmed 
and they're going to be depressed and they're probably going to wind up leaving. So there's another, yeah. again, there's more components to just this, but this is the overview. And right. most employees really want to engage in meaningful and fulfilling work. And then the, the, the last piece, now there's actually a few other pieces, but I just wanted to hit the top four, is competitive wages and benefits. Are you respecting mm -hmm. and rewarding each employee's value and efforts to your company? Are you leading from the front or are you at the back of the bus? Mm -hmm. So that's the right. growth piece that we have. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, that's the part that, that usually, that's the meat and potatoes with most, most clients. And then we get into the fun part, which I like, which is the A, which is the autonomy piece. And this is the one that I really, this is the one I enjoy the most because I have personal experience with this with throughout my retail career. The first piece is flexible scheduling options. Are you providing scheduling options that are flexible with your employees? Are you implementing a mild hybrid remote working option? People, when they heard me back in 2001, I was implementing a hybrid remote working style with my employees at Home Depot. Now, this was 22 years ago. I was doing this. Now, when I say hybrid remote working, it's not three or four days a week at home. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's maybe one or two days here and there a week, if that, maybe a couple hours. And you can do that with, think about leaders writing performance appraisals. You could, you could attest to this, Casey. If you're working in retail and you're trying to write a uh, appraisal for somebody and you get interrupted 10 times in an hour, your train of thought is, is, is lost. And that employee is going to suffer. So, you know, it's hard to write appraisals inside of the store environment in a busy, in a busy store environment like that, because you're going to get interrupted with phone calls and customer yeah. issues, employee right. issues. So right. I would have my leader say, listen, I said, listen, take two hours, write the appraisal, bring it in, and I'll go ahead and compensate you for those two hours at home. Think mm -hmm. about e-learning modules. Nowadays with the technology, have them tap into the internet and do the e-learning modules while they're at home. Again, not interrupted. Because right. it's amazing how when you're in a training room and you're in a training class and it gets busy, there's some managers that say, hey, you know what? We got those 10 people back in the training class. Let's pull them out. We'll put them back in another time. There goes the training. The training mm -hmm. is secondary. Think about preparing yeah. for an event or a presentation. You know, Give them some time. Again, quiet time where they can focus. And then you have conference calls. You have Zoom meetings. So I didn't have the Zoom meetings back then, but I had conference calls. And I did everything on what I just said. I did everything but the Zoom meetings because that wasn't available back then. I personally did it mm -hmm. 22 years ago. So I know it can be done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you have empowerment. This is where you can build an army of entrepreneurs throughout your company. Again, we don't have time to go into all the different empowerment strategies, but the next part is trust and respect. Do you trust mm -hmm. your employees to make the right decisions or do you punish them for their errors? We kind of talked about this a little bit before with the autonomy piece. And then you have inclusion and support. Are you including everybody? I, I always was at the top of all the HR metrics when it came to tenure, when it came to promotions, female managers. I always had more female managers than male managers, believe it or not. I just believed in including everybody. And in a home improvement environment back then, that was tough. Mm. That was tough because a, a lot of customers were very chauvinistic back then, which I couldn't stand. I never so stood for that. But yeah, it was, it was yeah. really bad. So I included everybody. And it, there's some people that work aren't going to be cut out for each retailer or business. That's okay. Yeah. But you right. include them and you support them and you find out by tapping into them. And you've heard me talk about this before, and I'll talk about this in the next section here, is intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. So that leads me into the P, which is purpose. Are you fostering entrepreneurship? We, we've kind of covered right. this uh, already. Right. Are you tapping into employer and leader intrinsic motivation? Intrinsic motivation is, is quite simply... Something that somebody loves to do naturally. They'll do it for free. They don't need to get paid for it. It's usually their hobbies, their passions, and their interests. And how do you find that out? You talk to them and you get to know them. You know, my first goal when taking over any kind of store or district was to remember the first and last name of every employee. Now, it sounds easy, but it took me three months sometimes to get through to everybody because there's part-timers yeah. and we'll have yeah. some tough names. A lot of people. That you don't want to mess up, right? <laughs> you don't want right. to mess up the yeah. name. Yeah. And but then you finish it up real quick. The community involvement and volunteering all ties into the purpose. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of people that really wanted to be involved in the community with Home Depot, there's Habitat for Humanity, the volunteering, the, they could go and volunteer with certain organizations. So that's kind of the overview of the, of the GAP strategy. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about how to develop the best retailer, retail leaders, right? Leaders that carry the empathy for their employees in the organization and foster a growth environment. And I want to say, kind of amplify this just one more time. You can know all of your employees and you can know what makes them tick 
and what they want to learn and know what their dreams are. Right. You know, I did it with 400 employees in one little store. You've been able to do it. Great managers know their people. Right. And they know and they right. learn how to manage their people and they grow. And I think that it's just very important because there's a lot of regionals and DMs that haven't taken that time to know mm-hmm. the people in their division. So that's how we retain talent and build these retail careers is creating that spark. And so I thinking about all these things, you've touched on a lot of different areas, Jeffrey. I mean, what would you say is the biggest opportunity for retailers today? Ooh, hmm. There, there's numerous opportunities right now that exist for retailers to thrive and succeed in the digital world. And that's kind of why I, I put the subtitle on my book, Retailers Thrive and Succeed in the Digital World. The biggest opportunity <clears throat> I see for retailers is to focus on improving employee engagement. I posted this week, I think it was yeah. on Tuesday, on LinkedIn about a recent Gallup poll that showed, and, and it was recent, it was this year, that showed employee disengagement has reached a nine-year high. And I'm like, yeah. wow, nine-year wow. high, that's... that's wow. <laughs> And about 32, they said about 32% of the 67,000 full and part-time employees surveyed were engaged in their work. A third were engaged. Hmm. 18% were actively disengaged. And this is a staggering number of disengaged employees. So Gallup polls in my mind are usually a microcosm of the macrocosm. Now you're Hmm. going to have some sectors and, and, and industries that are slightly immune to some of these, but generally it's a good gauge for the way they do their polls. So I'm noticing an alarming trend from some retailers to continue focusing on technology to improve their bottom line. And I, I fully support technology, augmenting mm-hmm. and supplementing each retailer's brand. I really do. However, human engagement, as shown by this poll, is deteriorating at a precipitous rate. At New Retail mm-hmm. Ethos, we spend around 70, I'd say about 75% of our time working with retailers and businesses on improving employee engagement. Because what happens is technology is bifurcation personified. On one hand, technology can drastically improve efficiency, scalability, and seamless interactions across all touch points. However, technology is creating a buffered moat between customers and employees. I, I work with all the clients and say, listen, we're, we're not robots. Yeah. We're human beings. Right. And human beings innately crave human interaction. This social complex is built into our DNA and world-class brands understand this dynamic intimately. So I created an axiom that I put on the back of my book and I share it quite frequently on LinkedIn and explains the situation. It's the future of retail. There's a healthy balance between technology, innovation, and human engagement. So, and because this segment is so important, I've dedicated five sections in my top selling online course, The Ultimate Retail Course. Mm -hmm. And there's five chapters in my best selling book, The Ultimate Retail Manual, to organizational culture and the power of engagement. Mm -hmm. It's so important right now. It's I, I go into retailers and businesses and they're, they're all about AI. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all for technology. I really am an innovation. But yeah. I'm like, shouldn't you be talking about AI the same in, with the same excitement as you are about human engagement with your employees? Right. And you got to remember, employees right now you know, are already intimidated and they have trepidation about automation coming. They already have mm-hmm. that already. That's, that's already the undercurrent right now in retail. I mean, look at all the retailers that are starting to go to automation. Right. And so they already have that going on. So it, now is the, the most critical time to maintain your core base of employees by making sure you're, you're ramping up your engagement. So that's, again, three quarters of what I do is focused on that one specific topic. Now, there's, there's many subsectors to that topic, and we discussed a lot of them right here today. But the point is, is they're all focused on technology. And that's great, but they're, they're human beings, and you got to really right. get back to yeah. that piece. And you have to wonder... Why is it that when you say three quarters of the time you're having these conversations, it makes you wonder why aren't there more retail leaders who are already factoring this in, right? And thinking about this and considering exactly what you just described about that human factor that we, we need to keep reminding everyone, right? And having these conversations to keep that at the, at the top, top level of discussion. Yeah, that's a great question. What, what I personally see from my experience, 30 years in the sector with the eight different retailers and now with the consulting now for going on eight years or five years now intimately is promoting the wrong leaders is the, is, is the worst thing you can do. Mm. I, 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 I share 10 questions that I had with every leader that wanted to be promoted. First reason I asked is why, why do you want to be promoted? Most important question of all, they don't know this, but that's mm-hmm. the most important one. 
And not, a lot of them would say, oh, I need to make more money and I, I want to have more, I want to have more authority. And, and those are all great answers, but they're not the right answers. I want to hear you say, you know what? I want to help people. I want to get out there. Exactly. I want to lead by example. Now, the higher you go, the less you can lead by example. You know, one of the things mm -hmm. I didn't like about getting promoted was I had less hands on time, but it was more impactful mm -hmm. when I was able to do it. But, mm -hmm. you know, you, you got to promote the right leaders. And one thing I saw oh, <laughs> progressively throughout my retail career was the person that got the most stuff done. That's a nice euphemism is that the, the, the hardest worker got promoted. Well, generally the hardest worker is usually working on their own to promote their own brand and their own style to get promoted. And they're, they're sometimes not a good team player. They're not good with soft skills. They're not good with motivation and coaching. They're great at leading by example, but what are they leaving in their wake? So promoting the wrong people, I, I walk into a lot of companies and retailers and you got people that are leading that, that shouldn't be leading. It's sometimes better to have nobody than the wrong person because when, when I saw Bernie Marcus leading, I saw the right way. But throughout my retail career, guys, I probably learned more what not to do from leaders than what to do, mm. because I just saw yeah. leaders that were that were de devaluing employees and ruining their confidence and insulting them. And the, 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 the adage is praise in public, criticize in private, right? Mm -hmm. And they'd be chewing somebody out on the floor. Customers are walking by, employees, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> and they're and they're supposed to be my assistant or my store manager, and I'm like, so you, you yeah. got to promote the right leaders. The second thing is you got to make sure that that, that the C-suite is passionate about people. And I know this is a cliche, but whenever I work with a retailer or a business, the first thing I want to do is walk the stores and I want to see it from a customer's perspective. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they go to work, meet with the C-suite first. I do that after because it's usually a stark contrast between what the employees and customers and leaders are right. seeing in the store right. versus what the C-suite. So Bernie Marcus one time in 2000, he said, the store manager is the most important person in the company. And I thought, wow. I thought I, I would think CEO, CFO, all the, all the titles coming down. Right, right. And he thought because each store manager is running a $60, $70 million business that they know intimately better than anybody else in the company. And he was right about that. But then Bob Nardelli took over and, and a lot of that culture went out the window with, when Bernie left. But yeah, you, you got you to gotta make sure that the leaders care about people. And it's really not that hard. It really isn't. All you got to do is have some empathy, have some compassion. And I believe, I personally believe that every employee and leader can add value, but you got to tap into that intrinsic motivation. And, and I'll tell you, mm -hmm. it's so powerful. When I, when I took over stores, I, I worked in five different states with Home Depot. I worked in Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, and, and finally here in Wisconsin. And every time I came to a store or a district, I would, I would, as I'm getting to know the people working with them side by side, you, you find out the lady in paint, the department manager, she loves gardening. She used to own her own gardening business. And, the, and the, the, the gentleman running garden, he loves woodworking. And you, you start moving all these people around and just putting them yeah. where they naturally yeah. are now. now right. You put exactly. everybody in every department because hardware and lumber oh. always want the best people, right? You <laughs> can't have 10 people over there, right? Somebody's right. got to run the other departments, Somebody's right? Somebody's got to be but, somewhere, yeah. 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 You, can, you can find out, well, I can't put you in lumber right now because there's a brand new guy over there and he's still learning, but what else do you love to do? Well, you know, I love to yeah. teach and train. Great. Well, let's make you, let's make you one of our trainers, one of our part-time trainers. Mm -hmm. You can always tap in. I've never found somebody that generally wanted to work, that cared, that I couldn't tap into and find some, yeah. some place I could put them for they have a high chance of success. Never. Right. I haven't found anybody yet. There's some people that just weren't meant for the company that worked their way out of the business, but um, ultimately everybody wants to do a good job in the very beginning. And it all starts with the onboarding program, which we can have another conversation about yeah. that down the road. Well, I really like that. I'm going to kind of rephrase it on promoting for the right reason. Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, I think that that's really important because the best did, I have no, I have seen a lot of what you've seen as well. They got mm -hmm. promoted for the wrong reasons. Right. Whether or not that was friends, visibility, or just doing outperforming in their own, but not really pulling the team. And that's what managers do, right? And you move up. This is just one of my what has to be one of my favorite conversations. I yeah, mean, I too. Up all day with you. I, I, I really enjoy. <laughs> I, I really <laughs> no, enjoy. no, no, not all day. It's all day. working out as well. We I know. It's just, it's no. really just nice to have the amount of passion and energy that you share and kind of yeah. bring because it, and that's really why we really wanted to have you on this show is because I just hope some of our listeners, like you just, it lights up fire in their belly again. Yeah. 
you know, exactly. because I think coming out of the pandemic, a lot of managers, a lot of retail leaders have just kind of been beat up a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and true. this is the kind of things that just really light that fire in the belly that really gets you motivated. Mm-hmm. So I hope everybody goes and gets a copy of your book, grab a highlighter. <laughs> exactly. And start exactly. really looking at the business. I'm going to challenge every listener to know all of your employees you and, and, and you what go. they're passionate about by holiday season. And you'll have a killer holiday season. Very different knowing who your employees are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, key with the, the key with the book and the course is everybody always asks me this one question. I know we got a few minutes left. Yeah. Is why did you start your first chapter with talent acquisition? That's my first pillar, talent acquisition. And then they said, mm-hmm. why is second talent retention? They always ask me that. And I'm like, I don't understand the question. I mean, I understand the question, but I don't understand why you're asking that. Why are you asking? Yeah. You have to, you have to hire top tier talent and then you have to retain that talent. Right. But most people think, oh, I want to get into sales and merchandising and yeah. coaching. And, and that's great. Don't give me that. It's coming. But yeah. I, I, I always coach everybody when they read the book and they take the course that trust that each pillar is lined up perfectly for you to go through your ascension. It's a synergistically synergistic climb to absorb the information in the right time. And it, it provides the foundational pillars there in the beginning that you need with the onboarding. I, I had eight different onboardings and let's just say 50% were atrocious. Mm. Atrocious would be mm-hmm. a kind word. It was yeah. bad. It was yeah. bad. So yeah. that that's something that every employee or, or, or every listener and, and, and student goes through the course of the book, read each pillar, Okay, go through each cor- and part of the course and digest it. Don't try to read it. I got some people that try to read the book in a week and I'm like, no, don't, no, don't do that. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to do that, go back and read it again because right. I have people that read the book three, four, five times. I'm like, Jeff, you know, I read it in the fourth time and I still, I just caught an epiphany from this one concept that you talked about. So it's a deluge of information. It's a manual. I mean, it's not super technical. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's for a CEO and an employee. And it's kind of hard to write a book that compensates and kind of mm-hmm. caters for both. So there's some big words in there that, that make the impact more powerful, but overall it's, it's, it's a manual. It walks you through the course. People ask for the course. When you get, when you purchase the course, check this out. You now get, I've added a free copy of the book and I've also added two one hour co- coaching sessions with me personally, not my company, not my employees with me personally. And people really wow. enjoy that because, you know, to me, I, I want people to speak directly to me now. There's some people that want to speak to a, a, a certain other employee that has a different niche specific, but generally they want to speak to me directly. They were asking me for that. And I had that as, a, as an aside that you could purchase as an add-on. So now in the course, you get, you get the, the book, you get the, the, the five-week program, and then you also get two personal one-hour sessions with me. And what most people do is they usually do the first hour about halfway through the book or the course, mm-hmm. and then they do yeah. it at the end at because the end. they have so many questions yeah. with all right. of it. But that makes sense. It's kind yeah. of the process of how to go through the book and through the course. Well, Jeff, th- thank you again for joining us today. And you have so much, such a rich set of experiences and frameworks and knowledge to share and how you support growing retail leaders. I, I find it always fascinating to, to hear from you and to listen to you describe and explain all of these things. And as Casey said, everybody go out and read the book if you haven't already, because there's just so much to learn from that. And I, I think in the end, everyone should realize, right, that the there, there's only benefit, right, in, in your retail organization from understanding the, these concepts and, and applying them. And I think it all comes back to what we started this conversation about. And it's that human factor, right? It comes back to this is a business about people and yeah. you can't have great retail leaders without a good understanding of that human factor and building those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing I wanted to add at the end real quick is that the, the book was written again from hands-on experience, the courses from hands-on, but here's a good example. I was speaking about feng shui concepts back mm. in 2001, 22 years ago, feng shui in retail. Mm-hmm. It's still, it's still not talked about. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a big thing when you create something, don't get me wrong. Part of me is like, yeah, I still got that, blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, why isn't this being more talked about. It's about how energy moves through spaces and how you can create environments that are harmonious and positive versus chaotic and negative. You ever walk into a store and you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah, I just can't wait to get out of here. It's just crowded. It's 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 mm-hmm. blocked. It's 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 hot. And then you walk into another store and you're like, wow, I could I could spend a couple hours here. And it's yeah. because of the environment I from Abercrombie and Fitch. So yeah. so you I know mean, you, you know walk in and it's just like 
<laughs> encapsuled in a poof of perfume. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Casey. Tell us how you really feel. I miss it. You know, it, it grew on you. I was just like, but you know, these are these are all really great things. We could. I have no doubt we're going to have you on the show again and again. I'm going to go get your book, and I'm excited to read it because again, Ricardo, it's back to basics. Yeah. Even with all this automation, all of this mm -hmm. talk of AI. That's right. If we can't grasp and refamiliarize ourselves with the basics, right? What are we teaching these machines? Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. we have yeah. to go back to the basics and make sure that right. we're amplifying mm -hmm. what we're supposed to be amplifying. Exactly. And automating you need that what foundation. We're supposed to be automating. You know. Right, right. So I think it's. This is very important for every every brand, every retailer, anybody who's in the business to just mm -hmm. really understand. I need to just kind of take a step, absorb, and start Im implementing more structure when they're looking at these things. And it's about the people. That's Perfect. why exactly. we're all here. Perfect. Exactly. We love our customers. <laughs> and they love you back. <laughs> right? That's right. They you take do. care That's of right. them. They will take care of you. Exactly. Well, Ricardo, on that note, I'd say this is a wrap. I think so. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player and catch us on YouTube so you don't miss a minute. If you want to know more about what we talked about today, take a look at the show notes and handy links for more deets. And be sure to sign up for our new Substack newsletter for the full transcript of this show. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to connect with us and share your feedback, follow us and the show on Twitter at KCC Golden, Ricardo underscore Belmar, and at Retail Razor, or find us on LinkedIn. And if you need even more from us, be sure and check out and subscribe to our Substack newsletter. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.